This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and I'm in Melbourne. And my name's Michaela Ortland coming from you to you from Wodonga. And Michaela, today we're looking at the rising cost of living and I feel like that is a line that is being used over and over again mm. and it's going to continue to be used because we're seeing not everything just petrol but now electricity bills where more and more people are finding themselves just not able to make ends meet. And we're also seeing that there's a rising number of people falling into debt because they're trying to sort of get themselves out of debt and turning to things like payday lending or buying now pay later schemes, sort of just hoping to manage yourself out of a really tricky short-term situation. But for a lot of people, Michaela, what it does is it creates a debt cycle that's hard for people to get out of. And now people are using things like buy now pay later cards for groceries and for bills. Here's a young woman who was speaking with AM just a few weeks ago. Just buying everyday stuff, clothes and groceries, just little things like that. I was paying for my phone bill at one stage. So how many cards did you end up having? I had about three or four to begin with and then I ended up with seven of them. All they needed was your name, proof of ID and your date of birth and you were basically approved straight away. It's so easy to get your hands on nowadays and it's a story that we're hearing more and more uh, people uh, Mm -hmm. are falling into the trap of. So more than 100 organisations have signed an open letter calling on the next government to make urgent changes and to regulate these things, the buy now, pay later and payday lending schemes, basically to better protect the consumers. Uh, Anyone, like I said, can get an account and there's basically no assessment of affordability. So these groups are worried that it's becoming more common for people to try to solve their money problems by borrowing from payday lenders or using things like Afterpay or ZipPay. Mm. There's so many of them about and it's so easy to access. Once upon a time to get credit and to get access, it was really hard. You know, you had to sit opposite a desk where somebody, you know, you felt like your life and your finances and all your choices (laughs) were being scrutinised and that, you know, you had this really stern teacher sitting in front of you. Now it's something as simple as an app. So how easy is it to fall into a debt cycle and how many of us know how to actually manage our finances and do we only get financial advice when it's too late and what regulations need to be put into place to protect consumers from risky lending 1300 222 774 on abc radio melbourne and victoria this is the conversation hour it is so easy michaela to get credit now. It was Mm. really, really tricky once, even if you wanted to. And I can remember going back probably 20 years ago, wanting to buy a new bed. I couldn't quite afford a new bed. And you could go to one of those big stores and they would say to you, well, we'll give you 20 months interest free, yada, yada, yada. And I thought, that's okay. I can pay it off over 20 months. Mm. You still had to sit down in the shop with their credit department, with a person in front of you. You had a credit check done. You were, you know, you had to prove, uh, you had to have all your latest pay slips. There was Mm -hmm. this really stringent uh, set of criteria that you had to go through in order to get the bed, you know. And I was sitting there thinking, there's no way I'm walking out with the bed, you know. I'm (laughs) sleeping in that old thing for another 10 years. But it was really hard. Now, it's just a hit of a button, isn't it? It literally is. And, and going back to what you said, I, I remember sitting there doing that very thing and being knocked back and told I couldn't access that money because of, you know, the wages I was earning back then. Uh, but it is so easy now. It was literally only a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to buy tickets to a music festival. Had the money in my account, but the only way to buy tickets on this particular day was if you had um, one of these uh, buy now, pay later accounts. It was a, uh, I think it was a Latitude account day. And I... I processed, um, you know, put my details in. It gave me an eight-minute countdown saying that it will hold the ticket for me for eight minutes. Didn't have an account, logged on, quickly filled out the form, and in less than eight minutes I had an account and the tickets were there and done. So it's it's so easy to get your hands on. There's, they're not looking at any, uh, you know, they're not looking at your bank account or what you're earning or whether or not you actually can afford the repayments. 
And I, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, you know, signing up or, or it's so glamorous that you can get these items so quickly that they don't understand or realise that, you know, they will have to eventually pay it off later. And on top of it, people are now using these services not for festival tickets, but for groceries, childcare, mm-hmm. uh, paying for petrol, all sorts of everyday items. Because as we've been hearing and as we've been experiencing, cost of living is through the roof. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. You can text as well zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. Fiona Guthrie is with Financial Counselling Australia. Fiona, you are just one of the one hundred groups that are calling on the government to regulate, to make tighter restrictions around this type of lending. How much of a concern is it, do you think? It's a, it's a huge concern and that was why there was over 100 organisations signed an open letter to ever form government, asking them actually to have a good hard look at this new form of credit because it falls outside our current credit laws and we are seeing in financial counselling where we're assisting people experiencing financial hardship more and more people who are just struggling because of buy now pay later debts. I know when you're looking at things like credit cards, the the thought of high interest rates are quite scary and these sorts of buy now pay later schemes don't necessarily have those high interest rates that you, you can be hit with if, with if you miss a payment. So is it safer, I guess, to, to have a credit card, Fiona, compared to, um, you know, signing on to one of these schemes? <clears throat> uh, all credit has risks, and, but you hit the nail on the head. The reason these products are not regulated, they fall outside the same laws that apply to banks and credit cards is because they charge fees generally rather than interest. And the way they make their money is they charge retailers. They uh, often charge 4 to 6% of the cost, but that's hidden from consumers. So so why they, what they do is they don't, charge, they don't charge interest, but what will happen is that you'll often get a late fee if you don't pay on time. And those late fees or even account keeping fees, some of them charge account keeping fees, will be pretty much equivalent to what you would have paid on a credit card. So it's a kind of, you're not really comparing the same products when you don't mm. get the same information when, they're, when they're, they're not regulated in the same way. And that's part of the problem is around disclosure and understanding what the true cost might be. There are a couple of banks who've just, in, um, NAB has introduced a buy now pay later product just today. And it, its product is up to $1,000 and they say they won't charge late fees ever. So that's a sort of interesting... Uh, There's interesting always a catch though, isn't there? Part of the market. Well, you'd have to ask what it is. Yep, yep. I think we've got to be really... I think we credits, credit is not like just you know, picking up a free sort of giveaway from a store or something like that. Credit's a complex product and when it goes wrong has really serious impacts on people's lives. So we see people who are having to cut down on food, they can't pay their other bills, they can't pay their rent because they've got buy now, pay later debt. The young woman that you had in the excerpt, I think she had something like $8,000 of buy now, pay later debt in a really short time and she she was on a youth allowance. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. You can text as well zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. Have you tried to manage your way out of debt with schemes like this? And when it comes to getting financial advice, do you know who to turn to as well? That's something else we'll be looking at a little later in the program. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. Fiona Guthrie is with you, Financial Counselling Australia. Fiona, there's a text here that says buy now, pay later feeds into a society that wants everything now even if they can't afford it is that a part of it but has it gone beyond that now is there still maybe an image to some that buy now pay later is just for some young fashionable woman that wants the latest shoes as opposed to no people are using this to pay for petrol that's where it started it started in the fashion industry but now it's being used for day-to-day living expenses at the pub for petrol for groceries so for those day-to-day living expenses, but you've also got buy now, pay later products. And remember that they're falling outside of our credit laws that require you to assess affordability and provide hardship programs. You can get buy now, pay later for up to $30,000 for solar panels and home renovations and surgery. This is a serious problem. Um, we are very encouraged that the new government has said that they'll have a look at it. I think that's really positive.
1300 Fiona, stay with us. We'll have a chat to Sharon. She's in Doncaster. Hi, Sharon. Oh, hello. How are you? Good. What did you want to say? Oh, good. Yes, I was just going to comment on... Recently, I, I was on YouTube and they have the official um, answer for everything, of course. <laughs> but, but there are lots of people that are, uh, are helping people to have no spend weeks, no spend months and no spend years where... They show you how to um, reduce what you're doing. And I found it really helpful. I mean, I'm not in debt or anything. I'm, I'm quite lucky like that. But it's, it's some of those people that are on there, they're just normal people, I think, uh, that are showing people how to have the no-spend time. You start with a no-spend week, then you might progress to a no-spend month, and then if you're really good at it, and I don't think I would be, but... No, I'd be terrible, uh, I dare say. Yeah. <laughs> I've just, I'm enlightened to hear that YouTube is being used for good as opposed mm. to evil, which is pretty much why we've banned it in our household. Sharon, thank you. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. 774 Fiona, when we look at the lack of, I guess, scrutiny when it comes to getting these types of cards, you know, there's no face-to-face uh, checking, there's no checks and balances. There's not a lot of information that's needed to be given. As we heard from that young woman before, you know, she just needed a license and she was rotating something like seven cards. Is that something that you want to see change? It's one of the things that needs to be looked at because some of, some of the by now pay later providers will do credit checks and some of them won't. But it in fact, it's distorting our credit marketplace because there is no visibility of the level of buy now pay later debts within the within the lending ecosystem. We know that people who have buy now pay who are using buy now pay later are more likely to experience financial hardship. One in five people, for example, are are missing payments on these products. Some of them are taking out other debt such as payday loans to make their payments. So it becomes a, a cycle. But just going back to that lovely comment about the no spend weeks and no spend months, it is partly for some people I think um, we have a culture that encourages overspending we have credit providers which encourage overspending and so part of the what we're dealing with here is a change to go back to thinking about how we use credit Um, i don't want to make consumers the problem here uh, but it's a conversation that we should be having you were almost not forced to do it but there's so many incentives that we think we're doing the right thing you know use your credit card and oh it, it will become cheaper you'll get all these rewards and you sort of it's like when you go into a supermarket and it's cheaper to buy two things instead of one sometimes and you're sitting there going but i don't want two packets of chips i just want yeah. one packet of chips but you feel yeah. like you need to spend that extra 50 cents or you look like a sucker because you've overpaid for one pack well, there's a lot of psychological marketing that goes that goes on, and I actually think it's pretty appalling that a provider, for example, would only offer you one way of paying for a ticket that forces you to get a, a product, mm. and so then they they're doing that for a reason. They are then going to bombard you with marketing offices offers. You would have had to click. I suspect that you couldn't opt out of those initially, and so they'll be encouraging you to spend money on their buy now pay later product. And the same thing happens with credit cards. It's a credit product. Um, there are problems with it. Look, some people can use them all credit safely and some, some people, for various reasons, are going to struggle, often because their incomes are, are very low in the first place and that is a fundamental problem that is causing some of these issues. When people are using it for food and day-to-day bills, it's because sometimes they don't have enough money to live on in the first place. And is it just young people, Fiona? I know when we typically talk about these sort of uh, buy now, pay later schemes where, you know, they first came out when I was in university. So it was sort of glamorised back then because, you know, you're studying and you're juggling, you know, a couple of jobs here and there, but they're not paying a great deal. So uh, being able to buy those, you know, new pair of shoes or um, or have a dinner out or something, it's 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 sort of looks like a great idea then. But is it um, the the people that you're experiencing that are talking with that are experiencing financial stress, are they particularly young people using these accounts or is this sort of a, you know, a widespread um, across all ages? Well, it's both. It's widespread across all ages. There are about 6 million buy now, pay later accounts. About 45% of the population has used one of these products. But we do also know from really excellent research from ASIC, our financial regulator, 
that young people are more likely to get into trouble with these products than older groups of people. And it'd be for the reasons that you outlined, because they would tend to have lower income. And so they look very attractive. And sometimes life happens in between making that first payment, having to make the second, third and fourth payment. And that's why we see more young people getting into strife than probably older groups. But it can happen to any anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Just finally, Fiona, are you confident that we have a new government? You know, that this letter has been penned by 100 organisations that are calling for change, are calling for regulation. Do you have any confidence that that will happen with a new government? Yeah, I'm very confident, Well, And look, these groups, they're, they're working with young people. There's a lot of youth organisations signed the letter Australian Council of Social Services, lots of the charities. Anglicare was a big partner. Emergency relief providers are seeing people coming to get food relief because they, because of buy now, pay later debts. So I'm sure that we will be listened to. Fiona, thanks for your time and for the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, look, I should say if people are experiencing hardship, if they could ring the National Debt Helpline on 1800 007 007, we can help. We can provide options. Fiona, thanks for your time. 1800 007 007. I do just always love every time I hear that number that is 007 007. <laughs> James Bond can fix everything. You are pretty much James Bond in disguise, I think, Fiona. So thanks for That's your time. <laughs> See you. Fiona Guthrie, Financial Counselling Australia. James is in Dantinong. G'day, James. Is that me? Yeah, it's you, mate. You're on the air. Uh, Mount Dandenong, that's okay. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, look, I was just calling. I was thinking, I grew up relatively poor. And, um, you know, we had to make do when we were kids. Um, we didn't get everything thrown at us um, like what I see a lot of kids these days get. Kids are very fortunate these days to have what they have. And I think maybe that's a reflection on society. I think people need to just stop and realise... What they've got is actually really, really good and, um, yeah. Just James, can I ask you, yeah. uh, yeah. growing up, you know, with, with not as much as or when you're growing up and you struggle a little bit, I've, I've seen it kind of go both ways. When you get older and you, um, you know, have a decent job that's paying a bit more and, and you start seeing that money come in, were you more inclined to spend it because you didn't have much growing up or were you more inclined to be like well I've got this now I'm going to put it away mm. in savings and, and create that um you know that's bank of savings what sort of way did you sort of sway to yeah well absolutely I think everyone like growing up with a bit of poorness or in a bit of poverty you know you, you're going to want to scrimp and save um yes we've done that but and we also to say on the other side of it, we've, we we have spent money when we've wanted to. I mean, we went to South America for the best part of a year. You know, we saved up for that. Um, but, you know, it took a bit of time to, to do all that and it wasn't given to us. Um, we had to work really, really hard for that. And this thing, you know, people just need to, yeah... Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a perfect storm, it's, isn't it, James? Because I totally agree with what you're saying, but then at the same time, there are people that aren't doing it because they want the latest runners or the latest phone. They're using no, them I, because they're totally no, st- no, struggling. No. So yeah. it's sort of it really depends on your circumstance a little bit. But I 100 percent agree with what you're saying, and I think it's a probably just a part of how complex all of this is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think what we've seen with the um you know, the, the Royal Commission into the banking sector, I think we've seen that there's some, some pretty big problems there with um, just giving away yeah. money. My brother had to declare bankruptcy um, because of one of the big banks overlending him and I was getting harassed personally by, you know, debt collectors um, to try and chase money for my brother, which I just thought was ridiculous. But unfortunately, when I questioned it, found out that's actually the law. You know, that's, that's an, legal. Yeah. It's and, strange. And, that, and there were, you're right. There was a royal commission into just how easy it was for people to get themselves into huge amounts of debt. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. We're actually looking at how easy it is to fall into a debt cycle, especially at the moment, Michaela, when we're looking at rising cost of living, when we're looking at petrol going back up, when we're looking at, we've only been hearing the last few days that we need to prepare ourselves for electricity prices to rise as well. Let's bring into the conversation Joe Nunn. Nunwick is the Legal Director at Economic Justice and Matthew Martin, who is the Legal Director of Mortgage Stress Victoria. Joe and Martin, 
you've been sitting in here listening to the callers, listening to Fiona as well. You're both pretty much on the front line as a part of West Justice. You service the western suburbs from Werribee and Footscray and all of those areas there. What's one of the main things you're seeing at the moment? I'll put that to you, Joe. Uh, Rochelle, you mentioned it was a perfect storm before, and that's exactly right. Look, when I hear about these buy now, pay later situations, I don't think of someone getting the first four instalments on a, on a Gorman dress. I think of the clients we see who um, are in one of the areas with the highest rental stress in Victoria. Wyndham's at 63% rental stress now, which means that people are spending over 30% of their gro- gross household income on their rent each week. Um, I think about the the fact that you've got to have a car in a lot of those places yeah. now to get anywhere, to get to work, to get to school, to get to healthcare, um, because we just don't have the infrastructure in terms of trains yet. Um, I think about the lack of sort of libraries and pools and other distractions, which might mean you have to get more stuff at home for your kids. Um, and I also just think about the um, the amount of kind of exploitation out there in terms of scams and things as well, where it's really difficult for people to get ahead. And just to add to what uh, Joe said as well, it's not only buy now, pay, de- pay later debts you see, but you're seeing a multitude of debts that have been accumulated by these people. So they've got utility bills to pay. Mm-hmm. They might have council rates to pay, a mortgage if they're a mortgage holder. And you couple that with the rising interest rates that are occurring now. It, it, as you say, Rochelle, it really is a perfect storm for someone to be in mortgage stress or in rental stress. And are you finding that people come to you and they reach out for help almost when it's at, it's not at the beginnings of the problem, it's when they're really in dire straits and they think, I, I can't manage my way out of this anymore. Yeah, Unfortunately, what, yeah. Yeah, what, what we're seeing at the moment is um, our clients coming to us at Mortgage Stress Victoria, which is a, a statewide service, um, servicing um, people in mortgage stress across Victoria. We're seeing people coming to us at those very late stages when their property is about to be repossessed. Um, we're seeing the banks pressing play on repossession proceedings now, now that the interest rates are going mm-hmm. up. And so we're getting it at much dire stages. And I would say that it is very important for people to try and reach out as soon as they can, reach out as early as they can, because you have more options available to you the earlier you reach out for help um, from a service like ours at Mortgage Stress Victoria. How do you know when to reach out? I mean, you can see the bills kind of stacking up and you can see that... Um, or not, because you, know, you just... And once upon a well, time, you just wouldn't... Like, yeah. go, now it comes to you online, but I yeah. can remember, you just wouldn't go to the letterbox. You wouldn't <laughs> open it. Yeah, I would say any time is a good time to reach out for help. Even if you're even if you're not behind yet on your mortgage repayments, but you're starting to feel the pinch with some of your expenses, your council rates or your utility bills, any time is a good time to reach out to consult with a lawyer or a financial counsellor or a social worker, which is provided by our service, to put things in place so that you don't fall further down the line of financial stress. Katie's called us from Clunes. Hey, Katie, how are you going? Hi, good. How are you guys going? Yeah, good. What did you want to say? I wanted to say, I'm not sure, I might have missed it by speaking with the producer, but the concern with not being able to gain credit down the track, like proper credit, like with a mortgage. Um, my daughter, she, she, was, you know, she was in her early 20s and she got an afterpay account and um, I happened to be with, I, I found out about it and I said to her, you have to shut this account. This is going to affect you in the future. And I just thought it was a, just a, a firm but brief conversation. And then I happened to be with her shopping and she was returning some shoes. And um, the lady said to her, oh, I'll just, um, I'll return that back onto your afterpay account. And I said, what's this? And the lady said, oh, God, have I just said something wrong? And um, I said, darling, you're not supposed to use Afterpay. You have to shut that account. If you want to get a mortgage one day, this is going to go against you. You're absolutely right, Katie. I uh, recently uh, took out a, a home loan and the same sort of thing. I was going through the process of it and I hadn't used my um, Afterpay account for several years. I opened it, you know, back in uni and it was still sitting there. Hadn't used it for ages. But the first thing uh, the bank said to me was, you've got an Afterpay account. You need to close that immediately because if there's any money on it, it could impact your borrowing capacity. But I think it's something that a lot of young people don't actually know. So they're, you know, willy nilly spending money on yeah. these sorts of accounts, not knowing the impacts that it's going to have later on in the track. Joe Nunwick is with you, Legal Director at Economic Justice, and Matthew Martin as well, Legal Director at Mortgage Stress Victoria, both from West Justice. 
Joe, are you finding that people are coming to you with just multiple cards and it's just so easy to get? We heard earlier, you know, from a, a young woman, she was at uni, she was on payments, you know, Oz, you know, whatever sort of payment she's getting as a student and still managed to get eight cards very, very easily. Not just not just multiple BNPLs, but multiple across the board, yeah. Occasionally you'll just see this, there's no other way to describe it but a horror show, but you'll, you'll go, yeah. how do you have personal loans? How do you have credit cards from all four of the big banks um how do you have these bnpl ones on top in fact we know why they have the bnpl ones because it's a bit of a wild west Uh, but part of the problem is that our more traditional forms of credit we're not seeing the levels of enforcement that we should right now i've I've literally seen someone approved for a uh a mortgage which um, they were really pushing their boundaries just to get and then be approved for a credit card with a 40k limit that same day um by the same place. <laughs> so how do we change that? I mean, th- one of the letters, as we've just heard from Fiona Guthrie, and I dare say that West Justice were one of the organisations that penned and signed that open letter uh, to the to both governments, actually, at, or to both parties. How do we change that? How do we make it tighter, but at the same time make it fair and equal? Well, they're looking for an inquiry, first of all. That's the ask from our sector to look into this and get a sense of the damage and the options. Uh, and then just bring it into line. Fiona talked about a, a equal credit market. And so really, if you're providing a new generation of products which advance people money for goods or services, should really be on the same footing. The key then is to make sure, firstly, that you're enforcing all of that. And a lot of that can include making sure that financial counsellors and community lawyers are in the right places to do so. Um, But also just making sure that people don't have to get credit for essentials in the first place. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. You can text as well zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. Robin's in Kyabram. Hi, Robin. Robin, you're on the air. All right, we'll pop Robin back on hold. Hey, All Robin. Thanks. Oh, yeah, I've got you. Sorry, that's my fault. I hit the wrong button. How are you? Oh. Um, No, I was just a bit cranky with one of the big four banks. I've had a a small um, private uh, personal loan that I've had for two years, never missed a payment, Um, everything was okay, but of a 15.9% interest rate, which is pretty high. So I contacted the bank because they're now offering uh, personal loans for 8.9% to see if I could perhaps have my interest rate reduced. So they said, no, I couldn't do that. I'd have to apply for a new loan, which I did. Now, I'm on an age pension. They approved the loan two years ago, but I own my own property. I own, you know, a huge horse floats or tractors, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, they um, they um, then didn't approve my loan, even though it would have meant $20 a fortnight less a payment. They said I, I didn't. Um, fall into the criteria of having a personal loan. So so I'm still stuck on the 16.9% interest loan, even though I was not borrowing, trying to borrow any more money, just wanted to pay that loan out and get a cheapest inter- interest rate, which would have resulted in the loan being paid off quicker. Robin, you raised a really interesting point in how hard is it to call a bank when you go, all right, you know, when you even get the courage to sit down and try and work out your own finances and figure out what's going on, to then be able to, as Robin from Kyabram just said, be able to negotiate with the banks if they're talking about the big four, uh, just a better solution and a better way of payment. How possible is that? Oh, it, it's very possible, Rochelle. So the banks have many tools at their disposal when it comes to um, financial hardship and struggling to make your payments on things. Banks can offer assistance in the form of deferrals on payments. They can reduce interest rates. They can. They even have the power to completely waive debts. So the banks have a lot of tools at their disposal. They can be Had, more We never know about them, though. Like, there's no... Like you've got to find a, the right person on the right day that's in a good mood to give you that information. Yeah, that's it. And, and that's why I urge the banks to be more compassionate, to always be considering what they can do proactively to help their customers and, and actually proactively offer these sort of solutions to their customers rather than considering the sorts of measures that we're seeing at the moment, like initiating repossession proceedings when you're defaulting on your loans. Is early education key as well? And I know, you know, um, I sort of didn't really look at uh, these sorts of financial issues until a little later in life. And I was pretty lucky. My dad um, instilled a a lot of this sort of good um, advice when I was younger. So I feel like I was uh, quite beneficial from that. But is it 
crucial in educating younger kids and people before they sort of get to that stage of looking at credit cards so that they know what they're up for? Absolutely. I think it's always important to to get financial education um, as well to reach out to financial counsellors, services that financial counsellors offer in terms of um, managing money and organising payment arrangements and making smarter decisions in terms of your debts and how to handle it all, I think is is really beneficial for people. Tim's call from Terelgan. G'day, Tim. How you going? Good. What did you want to say? Um, I'm in, in my late 30s and for the first time in my life, I actually don't have a car loan or a credit card because I've actually sold my ute with, with the market being as strong as it is. And the money I made off it, I paid the loan out, paid a credit card out, paid the a small um, personal loan out and bought an old four-wheel drive to run around in. There's a lot of smiles um, in this studio right now <laughs> listening to that. What prompted you to do that? Um, well, what, we, we both work. Uh, we've got a mortgage, a couple of kids, and you know my wife's got a car through work that she leases, so we still pay it out of out of you know out of her household money. But we just came to the realization we don't need to near new cars. Like you know, we we decide to take a step back and put a bit of money in the bank instead of going, yeah, let's have two fancy new cars sitting in the driveway. How much of a difference has it made to your life, Tim? Um, 500 bucks a month. Man, that's a lot just of for the car. Wow. And what about the stress levels, you know, just the general vibe of the house? <laughs> well, yeah, it's just, you know, there's, there's no... It's, and I know not everyone can do this, um, but, you know, if you're in a position to be able to do it, it does make things a lot easier because... We've got you know, that money now. We can put aside or we can put it off the mortgage or whatever to, to help knock that down. It's, it's um, you know, it's about being a bit smarter with your money. And, you know, me and my wife, we're, we're early, early uh, sorry, late 30s and we've gone, we'll finally realise that this is the better way. Tim, congratulations. Thanks for your call. I guess that's one thing we haven't touched on and no doubt you would see this when people come to you. I'll put this to you, Joe when it's not just the financial stress and pressure and the debt, but it's the emotional impact uh, and the mental health impacts that that has on you when you are living under such debt stress. Like, you can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great testimonial from Tim then about what it feels like to have that debt off your back. And this factors into maybe that difficulty with people coming in sooner uh, th- there's shame and there's a sense that um, it, it may not always be your fault. We have systems that aren't followed sometimes for credit and we have stuff that needs to be regulated. But I feel like people can feel this prevailing message that this is on me. I'm the one who can't manage money. I've I've made my own bed and now I'm going to have to lie in it. The reality is that if you talk to a financial counsellor or a community lawyer, they're not going to roll their eyes and judge you. Um, they're not going to go... Uh, they're not going to rehash what a shame it is. They're going to be really solutions-oriented. And you'll be surprised at the number of solutions there are in terms of when you work through that and the flexibility that you can ask places like banks, like Matt was saying before. Shame, I think, plays a lot in it, doesn't it? That sort of guilt and shame that we all have. But then there's also nothing like being able to turn to someone and ask for help and have that stress start to lift and the idea that there are solutions there. We'll get into a little bit more about Mortgage Stress Victoria and some of the solutions that are being created out as a result of West Justice's work as well. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Well, we're talking financial stress at the moment and how easy it is to fall into a debt cycle given that, well, rising cost of living is affecting more and more of us. My name's Rochelle Hunt. I'm in Melbourne. Michaela Ortland with you as well from our Wodonga studios. And in the studio here in Melbourne, Joe Nunwick, he's the Legal Director of Economic Justice and Martin, uh, Matthew Martin, Legal Director of Mortgage Stress. Is mortgage stress the first or the last thing that comes into a household? financial uh, stresses you know does that come first and then everything else gets problematic well i see mortgage stress as the entire picture so mortgage stress in my view really isn't about necessarily being behind on your mortgage you could be up to date on your mortgage but be behind on a bunch of your other debts and that can impact on your the stability of your housing and it can put your property at risk if you're sued for any number of debts so i think Mortgage stress is a way of defining the whole picture of the household and and not being able to keep up with all of your expenses. 
We've seen a bit of a boom in the building industry and we know more people are building houses and, and whatnot. Are you bracing for, you know, more calls to start rolling in people, more people in mortgage stress purely because of that and the cost of living? Yeah, absolutely. We're anticipating more calls coming in with, as, as we know, the interest rates have risen and are predicted to continue to rise. Cost of living is going up, as we know. Um, it, it is the perfect storm, as we've been saying, and we do expect more calls. And we're already receiving these calls at the later stages of mortgage stress, as I said. And that's why we've been funded by the state government to provide this service, Mortgage Stress Victoria, um, so that we're ready and able to assist people and households in mortgage stress. Trying to find a glass half full situation here. I guess it's good at least that we this is set up in advance, you know, that it's not great that you're predicting that you know we will have this tsunami of people that will start to contact you, whether it be how the banks are going to start to call in and call back some of that money where we're seeing maybe people have been given too much money than what they could afford, but at least that service is going to be there. Noel's in Bendigo. G'day, Noel. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What did you want to say? Well, there's so much I could say, but the, one of the problems that I see is that at schools, they're not taught uh, budgets or maths, maths. And I give you a story. I worked in a sales yard and there was four young boys in it one day. And I said to them, have you got school today? Oh, no, we've only got maths. And I said to them, look, if you can't do maths, you are not going to be able to look after your money when you get old. And when you read likes of the Barefoot Investor, um, most of those people that write to him, they had not been able to do maths. You've got to not depend on other people to do the maths for you. And the other thing, which is only going to get worse with if wages go up, is uh, if you haven't got any money in your pocket, you haven't got anything to spend. Mm, it's interesting you make comment, Noel, about uh, schooling because I know uh, finance was an elective when I was in high school and, you know, I, after high school, once I graduated, looking back at it, I thought, you know, it would have been nice to have learnt about your superannuation and taxes and, like, those vital things that you actually need in life as opposed to your, just your times tables or, or those basic things. Yeah, yeah. Well, even then, if you, ca- <clears throat> if you can't do your timetables, you can't... Um uh, do a budget either, so it's um, and budgets. It's a I mean, that's it. You've mm-hmm. hit the, we haven't even spoken about the B word, <laughs> have we? Really? How do we get this far into the conversation, both Joe and Matthew, and not mention the B word, budget? Where does that come into it? Some people just find themselves in a situation where it's not even worth budgeting because there's nothing to budget. I think they honestly do. I think once you once you face that kind of tip over rental stress or mortgage stress point and your utility costs are high, your costs of running a vehicle are high, um, and then you factor in the unknown. So what happens if the car breaks down? What happens if the kid's beloved dog gets sick? Um, what happens if um, you know, you're wanting to kind of better your kids' situations and the school fees where you're sending them to are far away and reasonably pricey? Um, that's where it starts to spiral and, and there's not actually any give in the budget. Let's bring Emma King, the CEO of Victorian Council of Social Services, into this conversation. Emma, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour. You've been listening to this and, you know, probably no doubt nodding along as well. Are you worried about, say, the next 12 months around what will happen and people just being pushed to the edge financially? Look, I am. Look, and thanks very much for having me back again as well. Um, look, and it's been really interesting listening to the conversation because it seems to be this assumption that people are buying a new car or a fancy outfit when what we know is for a lot of people are using buy now, pay later schemes to buy items that aren't discretionary. So when it comes to food and fuel and housing and energy, and we know that by the time people have paid for their housing, there's not much left over for a lot of people on low income. So if you're on JobSeeker, $45 a day, um, to start with, there's very few properties you can afford to live in in the first place. So there's very little left over. And I am really worried about what's coming. We're going, we're travelling around the state at the moment, visiting lots of neighbourhood houses. And one of the most striking things to me is having been in those um, houses before, is many of them didn't offer food relief previously and they offer it now and the demand is huge because people literally choosing whether they can you know, put food on the table or do they turn the heater on as we come into winter? And a big alarm bell for me is that we know that when it comes into winter, people often underuse their energy because they're worried about paying the bills. And we've literally had people turning up in hospital with hypothermia because they are so cold. Mm. 
It's a horrible thing to even think of that people have to make that decision whether or not to put food on the table or turn your heating on. It's it's so sad. But um, I, I guess what what is the solution when we're looking at things like if, if you are tossing up such a big decision like that and then you see things like the buy now, pay later schemes and mm. it, it is so accessible to get that money, um, I mean, there's no doubt or you can't really question why people are doing it if it's a life or yeah. death sort of matter. But what's the solution there? Should we be offering more support to people in, in these lower income brackets? Yeah, there's a, there's a few key solutions. And one is, please, that people don't take out more buy now, pay later. We know it spirals out of control um, and it, it has really devastating impacts. A couple of key things to mention. One is we know about 17% of households don't access all of the concessions that they're eligible for. Um, so when it comes to energy, for example. So if for anyone listening, please make sure, you know, for example, if you're going to West Justice or someone else, they'll make sure that you're connected to all of the concessions and other support that you're eligible for. A couple of other kind of calls for action, I guess. And one is when we look at income support. So we look at job seeker and the fact that people simply can't survive in abject poverty. We've got to lift that rate. We saw it happen when COVID was well, I would say it's at its highest now, but going back a couple of years, we saw it doubled overnight when um, there was you know, deemed to be this need. And what it meant was it lifted a whole lot of people out of poverty. So that's going to be really critical. Mm. And also just, just the laws around what um, the, the, the piece, I guess, that Fiona was speaking about at the start of the program around we need our federal parliament to act on this issue because consumer protections haven't kept pace with these new products and we've got to increase regulation, bolster protections and we've got to really rein in the rogue operators because they are just fleecing people and as a consequence, you know, people are in a really dire situation. I mean, you're travelling the state at the moment mm. and working with neighbourhood houses. Um, I mean, that's an incredible initiative, isn't it, just to bring it back to a community level? Because let's face facts, when you try and call a big provider or a big lender and you think, OK, can I get onto a payment scheme or can this yeah. be reduced in some way? It's really hard to get through or to get someone that can help you. But if you know that you can go to a neighbourhood house, is that something that's a good first step to just normalise help a little bit? I think it is, and it's also somewhere that people don't feel... I know you've talked a bit before about people feel often embarrassed about asking for help, and I think that neighbourhood houses are often a really safe place to go because people don't feel like they're going to be judged, and I think it's fixed that we see the amount of emergency relief and the support that houses provided during the pandemic, which I have to say went far and beyond their funding, around everything from, say, digital connection, because so much support or... Um, even paying your bills, so much of it is pushed online now. So yeah. what we're hearing a lot is people don't have a device, they don't have an internet connection, um, so they're not able to access the support that they need. And we know neighbourhood houses are providing a lot of support on that front as well. So that digital divide is huge because literally millions of Australians don't even have that to begin with. So there's all these barriers in place and we know that you know, the services that are embedded in communities, so whether that be neighbourhood houses, whether it be a number of charitable organisations, community legal centres, um, that actually help people join the dots. But often people don't know where to go and they do feel embarrassed about asking for help, but they see that strength in their neighbourhood house and the fact that they're not going to be judged for asking for help. We just need as more of them, you know, that they're sort of a, yeah. a part of the community that's dying out as well. Emma King is with the CEO of the Victorian Council of Social Services. One thing that we haven't touched on here. And Joe, with the work that you do at West Justice, I mean, we're already saying that maybe most of us don't have financial literacy or if you don't have devices and you can't access it. But what if English is your second language? You know, where do we bring in people from non-English speaking backgrounds uh, into this conversation? When, when Emma was talking about the digital divide then, I was just pumping my fist and saying, <laughs> yes, yes, it's such an important issue. Um, we've seen so many clients who um, will... Even something is like getting the bond back from your last property. A lot of that now is requiring a device and interaction with the Services Victoria app on your phone. If you grew up in a refugee camp for years, you've got your first phone a couple of years ago after moving here. English is not your first language. That makes it really tough. Um, what, we, what we're doing more and more of now, and it's sort of a similar position to the, the neighbourhood houses, is we're working with settlement agencies. So those are the places who are so indispensable in the West and everywhere where people arrive in the first five to ten years. They provide classes on how to skill up on IT. Uh, they show you the setting up of a bank account, how to get car insurance. But now we're here for the legal stuff like the family violence, the debt, the situations where the car breaks down. 
So that's what we're piloting and that's where we're hoping to restore mm. some of these digital divide stuff and reduce the amount of preventable exposure to debt and also exploitation. Emma, we spoke you know, before you joined the conversation around how this is the perfect storm and Joe, you know, you listed so yes. many things and you can see how overwhelming that is. But there's a text here that says it's pretty hard to budget if you don't have a predictable income. I've never been able to create one because I've never known how much I would earn week to week. And I have a maths degree. Mathematics isn't the problem. When we look at the perfect storm, one thing we haven't added into this conversation is insecure work. Oh, I couldn't not agree with your text tomorrow. I was feeling a little frustrated with some of the calls that came in earlier thinking we know insecure work, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of people knowing how many hours they're going to get each week and whether it's enough money to pay the bills. I think it's a third of people who are in poverty. They've actually got a job. They just can't get enough hours to make ends meet and it's it's such a significant issue in our society when we, we're looking at how do you even get a um you know, if you're wanting a more secure type of loan how do you prove that you've got that income source for example to to sort of back you in but just being able to put that basic stuff about being able to pay the bills and we see it play out particularly in the um, in the energy sector in terms of what um, people owe. But insecure work is just this insidious issue that uh, when we look at a number of the professions, if you like, that are growing, and I look particularly at the care industry um, and the retail industry, these are sectors that are predicated on insecure work. Hospitality industry. Yep. <laughs> and we've got, to, we've got to address these issues. And we saw it play out during COVID. Yeah. We saw the issues in aged care and literally people were dying. And I thought, gee, if it's not tackled now, when is it going to be? And I just worry, I, I'm, I'm hopeful in the sense of, you know, we heard the new government naming um, up aged care as a priority for them, but we need to look at the industries that are that are growing, let alone all of our industries, and really deal with this toxic issue of insecure work because it is just insidious and it's growing because a lot of our traditional structures like manufacturing that are not um, as prevalent as they were, they're being replaced by industries that are they're predicated on insecure and the toxic, the toxic insecure work. And I know a lot of people as well, particularly after, you know, COVID, like you said, we saw a lot of that um, insecure work during COVID and, and people um, mm. resorting to several, you know, casual positions to just try to get the income that can help them live. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of a, you know, a situation like living in America almost, where you've got people working ridiculous yeah. hours and too many jobs to be able to actually enjoy living. Is that sort of what we could potentially be looking at here in Australia if things don't change? I think we are looking at it. And also the part around when do you, because if you're sitting by your phone, if you've got one, um, waiting for the call to say actually want you in now or um, I'm thinking of um, you know, my, my daughter who's younger at uni where before you know, she gets a call to go, yep, we were calling in for shift but actually not busy enough. We don't need you anymore. So, you know, there are situations where as a worker you've got no power. Um, you don't have a guaranteed number of shifts or you can be, um, you know, just sort of dismissed at short notice and saying, well, we don't need you for your shift. Um, it's a real issue in terms of how we put protections in place for people. And on top of that, looking at the gig economy, and the gig economy is just growing phenomenally. Yes. So looking at, you know, you've got your, your, you know, whether it be, you know, your, your Ubers and Deliveroo's, but you've also got, looking again at our disability sector, so much of that is now done through apps online. There's no guarantee around minimum numbers of hours for people on that. You might only get called into a job for one or two hours. Gosh, it's just, I'm feeling quite overwhelmed, actually, by how many <laughs> things we have to think about here. I, I don't want to add to the overwhelming, but, but just hearing, will, But that's okay. That's I, I, I just think of like one of the saddest things I, I've ever been involved in, which is when I was uh, uh, doing tenancy law appearances um, at VCAT for possession order hearings where someone's getting booted out and someone, you know, calling beforehand saying, look, uh, do I have to come to this? I know they're going to evict me, but I've been called into work and this is my chance to get a shift today. Mm -hmm. um, and that's such a awful do or die position for people to find themselves in, especially when the interventions come too late. And to add to that, um, the there were protections in place for this sort of thing during the COVID-19 lockdowns. We had mm. industry, you know, energy companies, banks yes. offering moratoriums on payments and things like that. But what a lot of people probably don't understand is that 
there's still a debt growing when that assistance was offered, and now that assistance has dropped off since the COVID lockdowns. And are they all going to come calling for that in one hit? And people are going like, how worried about that are you? Yeah, well, very because that's that is what we are seeing. Like like I mentioned about the banks um, pressing play on repossession proceedings, it's hit that point now where where there's they seem to be deciding. All right, we need to come, we need to collect our our money that hasn't been paid. Now it's not a case of that. The customers were just completely absolved of their debts. That's not how the assistance worked, and so that that's also adding to the overwhelm. Just finally, Emma, because I know how busy you are. If people are listening to this and they're thinking, "Gosh, this is me, and I I want help. I need to. I want to reach out." Should they go to their local neighbourhood house? I mean, I know West Justice is one um, organisation, one community organisation people can go to. But lots of people are already saying thank you for you know for mentioning neighbourhood homes or neighbourhood houses. I should say. Uh, look, absolutely. Remembering as well, like they don't, have, like I just think neighbourhood houses are phenomenal in terms of the tiny bit of funding they get and what they deliver to the community. But again, remembering as well the National Debt Helpline, your community legal centres, and a number of whom are now also working with um, health services. They're, they're, they're setting themselves up in places that people go to. But also remember, um, you've got your other charitable organisations. And if you are in difficulty, do call, for example, your energy retailer and talk to them about you know, what support might be available to you and make sure that you're getting every concession that you're entitled to as well. Emma King, as always, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you so much. CEO, CEO of Victorian Council of Social Services, of course known as VCOS. Just finally, Joe Nunwick, Legal Director, Economic Justice, Matthew Martin, Legal Director at Mortgage Stress Victoria. Before we hit the news, for people listening, you know, that do need help, that are thinking, oh, okay, I can predict that either I'm in strife now or I can predict that I'm going to be in strife soon. What should, who can they call? What should they do? They can call Mortgage Stress Victoria if they have a mortgage and they're in Victoria and they're in financial stress or they think they might be, as you say, Rochelle, they can call Mortgage Stress Victoria on one 572 292. Uh, we have an advice and rights line and we provide ongoing casework assistance from lawyers, financial counsellors and social workers. That's fantastic. And for my part, um, West Justice, as it says in the title, we're the West. So if you live, work or study in um, the Wyndham, Hobson Bay or Maribyrnong areas in particular, um, and you've got issues with renting or tenancy stress, can any consumer and debt matters, including goods and services disputes, the sooner the better. Give us a call on 0397497720. Are you confident that the new government will make changes? I think we have to be confident because a big part of working in the sector is about fundamentally being optimistic that people will hear these stories and take action. Um, I would love to see some action on the BNPL um, and I think um, I would love to see some action on just raising the rate as well so we can change the size of that envelope and give some people a bit more hope and relief. Joe Nunwick, thanks so much for your time and Matthew Martin as well. And a huge thank you to West Justice Community Legal Centre that have helped us put today together. They've been incredible in making sure that this conversation happens. Michaela, do you feel like you're going to shut down your buy now, pay later accounts? After oh, absolutely. absolutely. After buying that festival ticket, I was I had to email and I shut it down instantly. It was a hassle to cancel it, I will say. Oh, how does no, that I've... not surprise me? Yes, yes. It was more work cancelling than it was setting up. But no, I, I'm absolutely all for never getting one again.